The human race is a beautiful mosaic of civilizations, customs, and cultures. Without the character of every tribe and tongue, the splendor of our diversity would not shine with its full intensity. There are places in the world full of treasures yet to be discovered by those outside their borders. Join us as we discover Georgia, the hidden heart of the Caucasus. Like a diamond formed by the temper of time, Georgia and her people have persevered using their resilient strength, withstanding brutal occupations by numerous invaders. Against all odds, the people of Georgia continue to maintain their cultural heritage. In Georgia, the hidden heart of the Caucasus, we will discover the people who gave us Jason and the Argonauts, polyphonic singing, poet Shota Rustaveli, and the first man out of Africa. The story of Georgia and her people has much to do with its geographic location and its isolation from the Western world. At the crossroads between Europe and Asia, Georgia is located in the central and western parts of the Transcaucasia. It is part of the Caucasus, which forms a natural bridge connecting Europe and Asia. Bordered by the Russian Federation to the north, Armenia to the south, Turkey to the southwest, Azerbaijan in the southeast, and the Black Sea to the west. The territory of Georgia features a vast array of landscapes. The northern part of the country is dominated by the Greater Caucasus Range that stretches the entirety of the country from east to west. The spectacular Caucasus Mountains, with many peaks above 5,000 meters, attracts mountaineers from all over the world. The Greater Caucasus and the South Georgian Upland is joined by the Lehi Range, which divides Georgia into two contrasting climatic zones, Western and Eastern Georgia. Western Georgia borders the Black Sea. It is lush and green and its subtropical climate make it an ideal place for growing tea and citrus. Eastern Georgia, however, is very different with a moderate to dry climate, ideal for growing those famous Georgian grapes. The beauty of the Georgian landscape is breathtaking. Rich in natural resources, Georgians believe their country is a gift from God. Legend has it that when God was dividing up the world at creation, he noticed there was a group of people who were not in attendance. It seems the Georgians were having a supra and were busy toasting and having a good time. In typical Georgian manner, they invited God to their party. God enjoyed himself so much that he gave them the piece of land that he was saving for himself, the valleys and hills that lie to the south of the great Caucasus Mountains.
The story of Georgia and her people can only be told at the dinner table. This is where Georgian families learn about their history and culture. No visit to Georgia would be complete without partaking in a unique Georgian custom known as the Supra. A lavish display of Georgian cuisine, the Supra is a ceremonial dinner and toast that Georgians use to officially welcome guests. The Tamara serves as the traditional host and begins the Supra with a toast to peace. The Tamara must be a man with a good sense of humor, a bit of a philosopher, and an animated storyteller. The order of toasts is very strict and begins with the toast for peace, a toast for explaining the reasons for the gathering, a toast to the hostess, then to parents and ancestors, to Georgia, friends, and the memory of those who have died. After all of the toasts are made, the Tamada extends a la verde to the guests, who in turn can now officially offer a toast. <laughs> Georgian toasts are always enjoyed with wine, but never with beer. And of course, all supras include traditional Georgian songs and food. The dinner table is always plentiful and offers a wide variety of regional delicacies ranging from kachapuri, which is a cheese pie made from dough and eggs, to tswari, which is a lamb or pork shish kebab of Caucasian rather than Georgian origin. In Georgia, you will be offered wheaten bread. This bread is baked on the walls of a tone, which is a large clay oven, shaped like a cylinder. After mixing the dough, the bread is placed on a saucer-like plate and slapped on the inside wall of the oven. This accounts for the unusual shape of the bread. After a few minutes, when the bread turns golden brown, the bread maker uses a large spatula to remove the loaves from the walls. They make upwards of 300 loaves a day at this bakery. Many Tbilisians say this is the best bakery in Georgia. Be prepared to put on a few pounds, as it is impossible to say no to your Georgian host. Of course, no Georgian dinner table would be complete without an assortment of wine and mineral water. Many Georgians grow their own grapes, and they love to share their homemade wine with visitors. There are also many varieties of mineral water available throughout Georgia. It is a very nice way to cleanse the palate. The Georgian people have a deep and binding connection to their land, perhaps because they have had such a hard time holding on to it. The nutrient-rich soil is ideal for growing many different crops. The grape is king in eastern Georgia. Someone once said that the soil is so fertile in this part of the country, you could drop a pencil in the ground and it would start growing. All Georgians, no matter where you go in the country, insist their wine is the best. Archaeologists believe that Georgia was the first place in the world to cultivate grapes. Wine growing in Georgia dates back to the third millennium BC. With over 500 varieties of wine, Georgians are passionate about their grapes. The wine tree has to be grown like your own child. The first three years you have to serve it, but it's not going to give you anything. After that, you have to spend most of your time in the vineyard. For example, I go to the vineyard every day to make sure everything is all right. If you are in vineyard, you will have a good harvest. If you are not, you don't deserve to have one. Sometimes, after a heavy rain, it is difficult for Tomas to trod through his vineyard. But the rain doesn't stop him, for he must check on his children, 
those beautiful vines that he has nurtured for many years. Tomas, like all Georgian vineyardists, are proud of their grapes. His vineyard will produce about five tons of grapes every year. Here in the Cajeti region, the Alexandroli grape is king. This tasty grape produces a dry white wine with a fruity taste, quite different from its Chardonnay counterparts in Western Europe. Dominat Sinandali, made from Castelli and Duane grapes, is one of the most popular white wines in Georgia. This wine is fermented at cool temperatures and matured in oak barrels for two to three years. This gives the wine its unique taste. Try as they may, the tyrants of the world have never been able to steal the true treasure in Georgia, the soul of the people. Georgians enjoy each other's company and love to make new friends. They take great pride in their hospitality to strangers who they believe come as a gift from God. Friendship is one of the cornerstones in their society. Georgians believe that a person's worth is measured by the number of friends they have, not by the number of worldly goods they possess. A lasting symbol of Georgian character is the statue of Mother Georgia, which stands on a hill overlooking the capital city of Tbilisi. In her left hand, she holds a bowl of wine, which she uses to greet her friends, and in her right is a sword drawn to fight her enemies. Today, the legend of Queen Tamar is not only found in history books, but in the Georgian folk music and dance. Georgian ensembles like the Georgian State Academic Ensemble of Folk Songs and Dance, known as Arisioni, are entertaining audiences all over the world. Their performances are a breathtaking mixture of athleticism, art, culture, and history. Georgian children long to follow in the footsteps, or toe steps, of the great Georgian dancers. I was raised in a family full of musicians. Since I was six years old, I used to sing with my father. He would spend a lot of time teaching me the different songs and techniques on how to sing them. After that, my father brought me into the Erisioni and I have been chosen by producer to sing in the Georgian legend. I am very happy to be part of the Erisioni and love this ensemble very much. Dancing and music are indeed a family affair in Georgia. There is nothing but art in our family and it's not a big surprise that one of my sons decided to go with art. My wife is a dancer in the ensemble and because of that most of our time we have to have our kids with us at rehearsals. My youngest son Nika always liked Georgian folk instruments, especially the dolly. He used to play the dolly on dishes at home. Looking at this every day, we decided to bring him to the ensemble's dolly player, Ramin Ronradze. After Ramin taught him a few things on the dolly, Nika got so excited that we decided to hire a teacher for him and the other kids in the studio. The result was so amazing that our producers and director decided to put a few of the kids in the show The Georgian Legend. Georgian folk music plays a vital role in their culture. Georgians love to sing, especially during a supra. It is a great way for them to share their culture with visitors and to pass on their rich history to their children. Children not only learn to sing, but they also learn to play the panduri and the doli as well. The folk songs are passed down from generation to generation. Georgian folk songs are unique in their structure, containing complex three or four-part polyphonic harmonies.
Polyphonic singing differs from all other melodic structure in that it is the only arrangement of phonics using multiple lines at once. Polyphonic singing originated in Georgia and can be heard in much of the world's singing today. Georgia's history is thought to be linked with the earliest archaeological findings of man on this planet. In the small village of Dumanisi, Dr. David Lord Kipanidze made a very significant discovery. The science, scientists agree that first humans originated in Africa, but when they left Africa, it was one of the most controversial issues in anthropology. Prevailing view was that humans left Africa only one million years ago. But we found remains of the first humans, which dates 1.8 million years. These humans are earliest humans in Eurasia. This skull belongs to a human which dates 1.8 million years. These humans left Africa much earlier than scientists thought, and they are much more primitive than scientists were thinking. Dr. Lord Kipanitse's discovery indicates that hominids started to settle in Georgia in the early part of the Paleolithic era. Four human skulls were found at the site, along with the remains of animals from the early Stone Age, including the southern elephant, woolly rhinoceros, giraffe, and antelope. Also significant were the 1,000 stone tools found at the Dumanisi site. So they were making tools, that's clear, you can see it, you see. But they were living in quite dangerous environment, right? They were with big carnivores, but they survived. These people were already hunter, maybe not very well-developed hunter. Occasionally they were scavengers, but they liked meat. They are first meat eaters. Georgia's recorded history dates back more than 2,500 years. Because of its strategic location, much of Georgia's territory was fought over by various empires from the first century BC through the 18th century. Many armies occupied Georgia at one time or another, ranging from the Persians to the Mongols. Although conquered many times, Georgia managed to keep its own unique identity and preserve its culture. Language has played a key role in the survival of the Georgian people. It has been critical in preserving their history and culture. The country of Georgia is split up into 11 geographic provinces. Each province has its own unique dialect that differs slightly from the others. Georgian is one of the oldest living languages in the world and is unrelated to any other outside the immediate region. It is not part of the Indo-European, Finn-Ugric, or Semitic families. It is part of the South Ibero-Caucasian, or Old Kartvelian language group. The Georgian language has its own unique alphabet, which was invented in 412 BC. The modern alphabet, called Mechedruli, has 33 letters and first appeared in the 11th century. Though it shares some basic parts of speech, as most Indo-European languages, Georgian uses distinctive word formations with 33 consonant clusters and a complex set of rules governs its verbs. Georgian has no grammatical gender. Even pronouns are gender neutral. The Georgian language is very difficult to learn, a fact that has helped Georgians stave off conquerors over the centuries. Most visitors find pronunciation of Georgian words quite difficult. 
Our photographer Claude, who is from Italy and speaks at least four different languages, was quite confident that he could pick up the language rather quickly. Let's listen as Tomasz Bluashvili gives him a quick Georgian lesson. No, don't say it. No, don't say No, wait. Cartila. Cartila. No, orecchino. Orecchino? No, orecchino. Orecchino. Yes, it's for him. Orecchino. Me? Gaghi Marjos. Gaghi Marjos. Di? Rogora. No, Rogora. Good morning. Di la, mi sfido bisa. Tonight? Hame, mi sfido bisa o kikineps. Kikineps. Rognasho. 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 He comes up. Rognasho. Rognasho. Claude actually was doing quite well by the time we left. The history of Georgia is intrinsically linked to its ties to Christianity. Georgia is one of the oldest Christian countries in the world, and we can easily say that its very old and unique culture is completely based on Orthodox Christianity. Everything started when Christ's apostles came to Georgia in the first century AD to declare Christianity. Among them were St. Andrew and St. Simon, and they helped establish Christian communities in the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd centuries. The apostles lit the flame and the fire was fanned by a young slave woman from Cappadocia named Nino. She began to preach the gospel vigorously throughout Iberia, which is now present-day eastern and central Georgia. Nino was declaring Christianity so strongly that she was able to convert and baptize the king and queen and soon the entire nation. This was the first time in Georgia's history that Christianity was announced as the official state religion. Queen Nana and King Mirian of Kartli made Christianity the official state religion in 337 AD, and later Nino became Saint Nino the Illuminatrix. The symbolism of the cross became a dominant fixture in all Georgian churches. Beautiful painted or carved crosses appear in every Georgian church. The symbol of the cross remains very important to Georgians today, illustrated by this man, Emzar Bitsadze. A woodcarver by trade, he experienced a vision from God to carve a cross for a new cathedral that is being built in Tbilisi. He, along with many others, walked from Satschere to Tbilisi to deliver the cross. 
Machketa was the capital of the Eastern Georgian Kingdom of Iberia from the 3rd century BC to the 6th century AD. Located just 13 miles north of Tbilisi, this ancient city sits between the Maktvari and Aragvi rivers. Trade routes established along these rivers brought merchants through Georgia on their way to Rome and China. Because of its strategic location between east and west, Georgia was frequently invaded and conquered by many foreign armies. Its land devastated and its people subjugated to foreign rule and quarreling native feudal lords. The land became a source of conflict between two superpowers, Iran and the Roman empires. Matscheta became the center of Georgian Christendom and the residence of the Georgian Orthodox Church. Many important and influential churches were built in and around the Matscheta region. The oldest church in the group, Javari, was built high on a hilltop overlooking the Kura and Aragvi rivers between the years 585 and 604. Like the other cupola and cross churches of the early Middle Ages, Javari, which means cross, has clear and tectonic architectural forms, a restrained and simple decor, and a high quality of masonry work. It is still an active church today with many worshippers coming from all over Georgia. It is believed that the first cross erected in Georgia was built on the site where the Javari church stands today. It is also a location where the pagan worship of Armasi took place. The Svetitschoveli Cathedral, built in the 11th century, is the main church in Matcheta and is one of the most magnificent examples of the Georgian Renaissance church. Surrounded by fortress walls to keep out early invaders, this cathedral is one of the most sacred places in all of Georgia. The name itself means life-giving pillar or column of life. The cathedral is built on the grave of a woman named Sidonia. The legend of Sidonia begins with her brother Elias, a Georgian Jew who is in Jerusalem during the time of Christ's crucifixion. Elias bought the robe of Christ from a Roman soldier at Golgotha and brought it back to Georgia. Upon his return to Matscheta, he was met on the road leading into the city by his sister Sidonia, who was overjoyed to see her brother after his long absence. In her excitement, she ran to him. In their embrace, she grasped the robe that he was carrying and immediately died. The robe could not be removed from her hand, so she was buried with it at the site of the present-day Svetitskoveli Cathedral. Later, an enormous Lebanese cedar grew from her grave. In the fourth century, King Mirian decided to build the first Christian church in Georgia on the grave site of Sidonia. In Georgia, Sveti means column and Tchoveli means life-giving. Through the centuries, Svetitskoveli Cathedral has served as a final resting place for many Georgian kings and the site of numerous coronations. As many as ten Georgian kings are said to be buried here in front of the altar. The tomb of King Gorgasali is identified by the small candle fortress standing before it. The history of Christianity in Georgia is painted on the walls of the church, illustrated vividly in many beautiful frescoes and paintings adorning the church. Today, the cathedral is the site of many weddings, with couples coming from all over Georgia to exchange their vows in this magnificent cathedral. The Svetitskoveli Cathedral that we see today is the third building on this site. The first structure was built by King Marion in the 330s, and the second was by King Vaktan Gorgasali in the 5th century. 
The man generally credited with building the present-day cathedral is a famous Georgian architect by the name of Artsukidze. His story is both unique and tragic at the same time. He was commissioned by the Patriarch of Kartle to build a new cathedral. At the completion of this magnificent cathedral, Artsukidze's teacher, who happened to be a minister in the king's court, became so enraged with envy that he had Artsukidze's right hand chopped off. He learned the hard way that it is not good protocol to exceed your teacher in the mastery of his craft. Over the central arch of the northern facade, there is a relief of a hand holding a bevel square, which is the symbol of a stone mason. The inscription underneath it says, The hand of the servant of God, Arsukidse, slave of God, may forgiveness be his. His fate is not unusual in Georgia. The history of the Georgian church is marked by a succession of martyrs. St. George, the patron saint of Georgia, was beheaded in 303 when he refused the order of Roman Emperor Diocletian to persecute the Christians. He admitted to being a Christian and paid with his life. Every year on May 6th, which is a national holiday, thousands of Georgians gather at local churches to remember and honor his sacrifice. Here in the capital city of Tbilisi, at Kashweti Church, many are gathered for the arrival of His Holiness and Beatitude, Ilya II. His Holiness is the Archbishop of Mascheta and Tbilisi, and is the Patriarch of all of Georgia. The Patriarch is the Catholic head of the Georgian Orthodox Church in Georgia, and is considered the spiritual leader of the Georgian people. Ilya has great influence not only in the Church, but in the country as a whole. Let's listen as His Holiness explains the role of the Georgian Orthodox Church to Georgians today. The Georgian Orthodox Church has always been and still is a national church. The main power that will always unite the country is the church. Today, the Georgian Church has responsibility to protect and save the cultural and spiritual heritage of Georgia. In the Emirati region, at Motsameda Monastery, sitting high above the ravine of the Skhaltitela River, a monument was built by King Bagrat III to two brothers, David and Constantine Macheidze, who were lords of the region in the 8th century. Sometime between 720 and 730, succumbing to a superior Arab force, the brothers were captured and tortured for refusing to convert to Islam. They were thrown into the Rioni River, with stones tied around their necks. Their bodies washed up later on the riverbank below the monastery. Their bodies were recovered and buried in the crypt of the church. Their tomb rests on two carved lines at the top of the side altar in the church. Believers are convinced that if you walk three times through the small passage beneath the saint's tomb without touching the walls, your prayers will be answered. Thousands come here every year to pay their respects, walk through the passageway, and wait for prayers to be answered. Another great church in the Imereti region is the Galati Monastery and Academy. This great complex was very important to church history and played a critical role in the development of the written language in Georgia. The construction of this great complex was started in 1106 by King David the Builder and later completed by his son Dimitri I in 1130. King David invited the most famous philosophers, theologians, and doctors of law to come and teach at his academy. 
The academy was headed by the prominent Georgian philosopher Ioan Patrizzi, who established a curriculum consisting of arithmetic, astronomy, geometry, grammar, music, philosophy, Greek, and Latin. The Galati Academy was to be a place where the great scholars of the world could come and share their knowledge. It was King David's intention to build a second Athens and a new Jerusalem in Georgia. The main building of the monastery is the cathedral, which is devoted to the Nativity of the Holy Virgin. Preserved in the main altar is an extremely rare mosaic of the Holy Mother and the Christ Child flanked by Archangels Michael and Gabriel. This mosaic dates from the 1130s and is the oldest remaining wall art in the cathedral. Numerous frescoes and mosaics adorn the wall of the great cathedral, the oldest of which dates back to its consecration. A second layer of frescoes was painted in the 16th century during the reigns of Imeridian kings Bagarat III and Georgi II. Most of the murals in the main church and St. George's Church were made in the 16th and 17th centuries. One of the most sacred images in Georgia is a portrait of King David the Builder holding the church in his hands. It is the only surviving portrait of the great Georgian king. In the north chapel of the main church are frescoes from the 17th century combining the life of Christ and various historical figures in Georgia. On the south wall of the church there are paintings and frescoes of the birth of Jesus, his entry into Jerusalem, and the crucifixion. The southern entrance gate to the monastery deserves special attention because it contains a tomb which is thought to hold the remains of King David and his son Dimitri I. The Galati Church is very important to the Georgian people. Galati Church was the biggest spiritual center in Georgia at the time. The most talented young people in the region were getting valuable education for the future of Georgia at the Galati Academy. The Galati Church has suffered many invasions from different enemies of Georgia, but it will always survive and get rebuilt because of a very strong spiritual soul of the Georgians. In 1921, after the Communists came in power, the Galati Church stopped existing as a functioning church. The Communists ordered all the priests to leave the monastery, and one of them ran into the forest near the church and died there, fasting and praying. In 1988, the Galati Church reopened as a functioning church. The Golden Age of Georgia is credited to King David the Builder and his great-granddaughter Queen Tamar. David came to power through a coup d'etat orchestrated by a group of nobles who wanted to oust David's incompetent father, Georgi II. He was blamed, along with other kings, for allowing the Seljuk Turks to invade and take over Georgia. The Turks devastated much of Georgia, exterminating and capturing thousands of Georgians. King Georgi II was forced to visit the great sultan Malik Shah, where he promised to pay an annual protection payment to the Sultan. Unfortunately, the protection money did not stop rogue Turks, who continued to pillage Georgian towns and make seasonal migrations into Georgia. The Turks set up regional garrisons all over Georgia and even had one in Tbilisi. King David refused to pay the annual protection payments and began to build his new highly trained modern army. Every family was required to send one soldier with a horse and weapons. His new army became mobile, agile, and hostile. 
and was able to take the fight to the Turks. He immediately began to send small detachments of troops to harass and destroy many Turkish outposts. One by one, the Turkish outposts began to fall under the mighty arm of King David driving out the Turks. One of the greatest battles fought by Georgians is the Battle of Didgori, fought just outside of Tbilisi in the Didgori Valley. It was here where Sultan Mahmud ibn Muhammad decided to make a final stand, declaring a holy war to defeat the Georgians. In an epic battle between an estimated 300,000 Turkish soldiers and 50,000 Georgians, King David was able to completely destroy the Turks. This was a crushing blow to the Turks, but David had another big battle to win, the city of Tbilisi. The force, which is called Builder Agmashenebele in Georgia, unified the country. He came in 1122 near this city. He came here with his glorious Georgian army. And this city was besieged um, some two or three days, for some two or three days. And then he demolished the city walls from the west, uh, from the west and the Georgians penetrated into the city. From this time on, this city is the capital of Georgia. The glorious moment of the history of this city uh, is connected with the 12th and 13th century, especially with the reign of Queen Tamar. I sing of the lion whom the use of lance, shield, and sword adorns of Tamar, the queen of queens, the ruby-cheeked, and jet-haired. How shall I dare pay tribute to her praiseworthy verses, whom to look upon is to feast upon the choicest of honey? Tears of blood flow profusely as I exult our queen Tamar, whose praises I have uttered forth in well-chosen words. For ink I have used a lake of jet. Those are the words of the great Georgian poet Shota Rustaveli in his epic poem, The Knight in the Panther Skin. His poem depicts a world where heroes are brave, philanthropic, and generous, a description that aptly fits Queen Tamar. In 1178, the wise King Georgi III, the grandson of King David the Builder, had his daughter Tamar, who was 19 years old at the time, crowned as co-ruler. This was done to ensure that his daughter would take over at the end of his reign as King of Georgia. Tamar officially took over when she was 25 years of age, and it lasted 24 years. Under her rule, the Georgian state expanded and the kingdom remained prosperous and stable. She was determined to finish the great works that her father had started. One momentous project was the Caves of Varzia. The building of Varzia was started by King Georgi III in the 12th century. This period is called the Golden Age of Georgian History. Georgi III started building Vardzia in the year 1145, but because of his death, he could not complete it. Vardzia was completed by his only daughter Tamar. Vardzia was originally built for monks, and in the 12th century, there were more than 700 monks living here. This huge complex, 13 stories high and a half a kilometer in length, was hand-carved out of the face of Mount Erusheti. The town at one time had more than 3,000 caves and could house as many as 20,000 people. The cave complex today still has a labyrinth of interconnecting tunnels to more than 600 rooms, but only a few priests live here now. The name Vardzia itself is directly related to Queen Tamar. 
Legend has it that King Georgi and a group of noblemen went hunting in the surrounding areas near the caves of Varzia, and he brought along his little daughter Tamar to join them in the hunt. As children sometimes do, Tamar got lost and wandered into the caves. The hunters started the search, crying Tamar's name. Where are you, Tamar? shouted one of the members of the search party. Tamar, hearing his voice, quickly answered back, I am here, uncle. And the place was named Vardzia. For in Georgian, I am sounds like Var, and uncle is Zia. As we walk through the caves, it is easy to see how Tamar could have gotten lost, her voice echoing off the cave walls. At the end of this passageway is a very sacred and important place. It is called Tamar's Well, an important source of fresh water for the cave complex. Everyone who visits is encouraged to drink from the well. Its water is supposed to have healing powers and it tastes quite good. The cave complex has many areas of interest, including the Bell Tower and the Cathedral of the Assumption, which has many frescoes including the famous one of Queen Tamar holding a model of the church and her father Georgi III. Legend has it that the capital of Georgia was changed from Mutscheta to Tbilisi when King Vakhtang Gorgasali was on a hunting expedition and discovered something very unusual about the hot springs in Tbilisi. While hunting, he shot a pheasant and it fell into a stream. As he went to pick it up, he noticed that the bird had been mysteriously healed by the water. Sitting under the ever-watchful eye of Mother Georgia, Tbilisi today is home to over one million Georgians. On the banks of Mkvari River, this ancient city has always been a place of commerce and trade, and the meeting place for cultures and people. The future of Georgia has always relied on the strength of Tbilisi. The history of this great city as Georgia's capital dates back to the 4th century. It has withstood the advances of at least 29 invaders over a 1,500-year period, all trying to inflict their will on the Georgian people. Like the rocks which lie at the bottom of the turbulent Maktavari River, the people of Georgia have been worn down but never broken. Tbilisi and Georgia are in the middle of an economic and social rebirth trying to reclaim some of its former glory, which for a time was hidden by the oppressive cloak of the Soviet Union. The city is alive with activity. Commerce is coming back, hotels are being built, and Tbilisians are hopeful for a bright future. Georgia's aspirations for the future begins here in Freedom Square, the city center, formerly called Lenin Square. This is where city and national leaders are trying to rebuild its infrastructure. Georgia's new president, Mikhail Saakashvili, is a strong advocate for democracy and is trying to bring capitalism to the country to help them compete in the world market. With its cobblestone streets, beautiful balconies, and restored city walls and many historical landmarks, Tbilisi is a beautiful reminder of its storied past and a vital link to a successful future. For a look into its future, we begin our journey in Tbilisi by looking at its past, the section of the city called Old Town. Sitting on a cliff overlooking the swift currents of the Makavari River, the Matehi Church is one of the major landmarks in Tbilisi. Tourists come here to enjoy the beautiful views of the city and students come to learn about the history of their country. The church as it stands today was built by King Dimitri II in the year 1289. Before that, it was the site where King David the Builder had his royal palace and also where Queen Tamar married her second husband, David Soslin. Both the palace and the original church were destroyed during the Mongols' invasion in 1235. 
This magnificent statue of King Vakdan Gorgasali adjacent to the church was designed by Elguja Amashikeli in 1958 to mark the 1500-year anniversary of Tbilisi as the capital of Georgia. Standing imposingly over the old town on top of Sololaki Hill is the Narikala Fortress. Narikala Fortress, and it was the main fortress of the city. One who decided once to penetrate within the city, she or he has to break through the inner wall first, and then this citadel. So there were two main citadels in Tbilisi. One was just a wall, and we know that in the 9th century that was not brick wall, but it was a wooden wall. We know this exactly. And the next was this fortress, which was built perhaps in the 4th century. I can say only perhaps because the first mention of this citadel is just from the 18th century. And the name of citadel, as I have already mentioned, that is Narikala. Etymology got two explanations. One is native explanation, the Georgian one, and the next is the Persian explanation. Uh, Narenkale in Persian ways, that means the inner fortress, the Acropolis in the Greek way. And Narikala in Georgian way, that means something standing a bit abstracted from the main part of the city. But once uh, the district just below the city was called Kala or Kale. The sulfur baths of Tbilisi have long been enjoyed by kings and the common man. People come here for rejuvenation and healing. The natural hydrogen sulfide water bubbling up from the underground springs have a curative effect that can't be explained. Historians believe that these baths date back as far as the 7th and 8th centuries. During the golden age of Georgia, there were as many as 68 different baths in Tbilisi. Today, only six remain. A plaque on the Orbeliani bathhouse reveals the thoughts of Alexander Pushkin. I have never in my life come across anything better than the baths of Tiflis. The bath is only part of the experience. To get the full effect, you need to get roughed up a bit. The full body massage and scrub is quite a vigorous workout. The masseur is very thorough. Your muscles are stretched and your limbs are bent. The body is scrubbed clean, opening up all the pores being careful not to leave any area untouched. Georgia's western border ends here on the beautiful Black Sea coast. As the waves wash onto shore, gently settling over the stones, it is hard to imagine that this coastline was once bloodied by Roman armies and Turkish invaders. The history of the region was shaped by Greek and Roman colonizers, as well as the Ottoman Turks who terrorized this region for over 300 years. Just north of here, in the Samagrelo province, near the town of Poti, Jason and his Argonauts came ashore in the 13th century BC in search of the Golden Fleece. Jason entered the Colchian domain of King Aeti by rowing his ship, the Argos, up the mouth of the Fasis River. King Aeti promised to give Jason the Golden Fleece, but only after completing a series of death-defying tasks, one of which was to kill the Hydra, which was guarding the Golden Fleece. In the process, Jason fell in love with the king's daughter, Medea. Just 12 miles from the Turkish border in the autonomous Republic of Azara, Batumi is a strategic port in the southern Black Sea region linking Georgia to the Mediterranean Sea. Batumi has always been a valuable piece of real estate. It was once the site of the ancient Greek colony of Batis, and like many other cities in Georgia, it has been fought over and controlled by many different factions, including the Turks in the 16th century and the Russians in 1878. 
Coupled with the collapse of the Soviet Union and the strong-arm tactics of former Azarian president Aslan Abashidze, Batumi is trying to regain some of its former luster, not only as a prime tourist destination, but as a major center of trade for Georgia. For many years, the effectiveness of this port and the beauty of the city was greatly diminished by the corrupt presence of Aslam Abashidze. With his ouster by new Georgian President Saakashvili in 2004, the port is once again open for business and showing signs of prosperity. People are once again enjoying the beauty of the city, strolling through the many public parks, sipping on Turkish coffee, eating their famous khachapuri, taking a walk on the beach, and of course, enjoying a meal with their family. When President Saakashvili came to power without a shot being fired, the world took notice. His Rose Revolution is an example for all former Soviet states to follow. The power of democracy comes through the will of the people, the ability to choose their own leaders who will represent them. The prosperity of Georgia lies with its people. Through the centuries, Georgians have persevered and remained true to their culture. Family has always been the cornerstone of their survival. It is now up to the collective families of Georgia to roll up their sleeves and continue the hard work needed to recover from the oppressive cloak of the Soviet Union.